Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, it is the 18th of February, or February already, if I can say that right. My name is Bromo. I am an alcoholic. My uh, sobriety date is 2-17-09. I am not an expert by any means. I don't have any credentials to to support what I'm talking about. I just have life experience. Um, my whole goal for this whole thing, and I've said it from the start, is to have anybody out there who may think that they're on the fence. Uh, maybe they, they, they're questioning their drinking or using or if they have any family members or friends that they can see their life kind of spiraling a little bit. I would love anybody to listen to this. My guests are awesome. I finished my story finally, and today is one of my favorites, Joel Beardsley. Joel, how are you, buddy? Good. How are you doing, Bromo? You know, I'm doing well. It's sunny out here. It's almost 40 degrees, and when it's like 40 degrees out here, there's like a parade that goes down Main Street because it's not it's not so cold, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Right, right. Well, I want to wish you a happy birthday, man. Happy, happy silver birthday. Happy 15. Oh, you know, I finally made it. I got to, <laughs> got to yesterday, and Joel will agree with him, uh, with me on this. I'm almost positive. Um, I talk about this all the time. I don't care about my natural birthday anymore. Heck, who cares? But my right. when my uh, sobriety birthday comes around, I just absorb it all day long, all night long. I think about it. I think about all the friends that I've met through sobriety and uh i'm just grateful for just another year sober and thank you for that i appreciate it but today we're going to make it about you and you had uh, said to me on the phone yesterday you weren't sure like uh you know you were hoping i would just ask you questions and such which i will i want everyone to hear your story now you don't have to now how many uh what's your sobriety date uh april 1st 2003 oh april fools huh yes yeah yeah all right uh, go ahead that was also that was uh, my mother's birthday. Who was born in 1942? Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So anybody so doing the math? How many years sober are you? I'm uh, over 20 years. God, that's so. It's so awesome for me. Anybody with any kind of sobriety length is awesome. Me, don't get me wrong, but I only see Joel about. Uh, he's in San Diego. What's the weather like out there? Right now, it's cloudy. The sun's trying to pop up, but it's a little chilly. It's in it's in the low sixties, high fifties. boy, oh boy, boy, that would make me want <laughs> a jacket. And this, that's what cracks me up every time I, because uh, I have a lot of people. I'm from San Diego, so I have a lot of people I stay in touch with, and they always tell me, "Yeah, I might have to put a jacket on." It's like sixty-one <laughs> degrees out here. <laughs> uh, real quick history about Joel. I've, I think I've known Joel now for about nine or ten years. I, I came across Joel for the very first time at my best friend's uh, poker party. The great thing about this is we were all, we were all sober. Got together with Joel, and immediately he's one of those guys you click with right away. And when he saw how uh, how 
I am about talking about sobriety. He and I could have strayed off to the side and talked for days. He has that Amen. light above. Uh, he has that light in his eyes and his fire, and he's all about sobriety. He's all about going to meetings. And now I'm going to let you tell your story real quick. Like I said, you don't have to worry about every single week that goes by in your in your journey. But uh, just uh, tell everybody how you got started and what you were doing back then in the dark days. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I started at 12 or 13 years old, experimenting with alcohol, experimenting with marijuana. I hung out with the older kids. I wanted to be cool. This is back in like 79, 80, 81. And I just strived for that rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I saw these older kids with the long hair and the muscle cars, and that's who I hung out with, you know, and uh, I wanted to be like them. And uh, so, uh, you know, my, my idols were Elvis, Beatles, Kiss, you know, Judas Priest, all that. And, uh, you know, I started experimenting with that, and, and, uh, and I loved it. And uh, it further went on. To uh, high school, where I really started to drink, experienced my first blackout at four or fifteen, fourteen or fifteen. Yep. Um, and uh, it was like I remember I had the gnarliest hangover the next day, but I was so glad. I mean, I found my potion. It, it took away my fears, my insecurities, my worries. It made me be able to talk to girls, and thought I was one of the cool kids. And uh, I just it it grabbed me, and. Uh, Fortunately for me, by 15, 16, I was doing cocaine and meth, and uh, I'd say two years two years later, I was uh, in my first rehab. I got kicked out of high school, and uh, ambulances came to my house and took me to Mesa Vista Hospital, um, and I, in order to get back into high school, I had to do that, and I was in my senior year. Now, how long was that? Uh, I know that McDonald's Center, where I went, it was a 28-day uh, spend yeah. dry place. How long was yours? Um, I can't remember exactly. I, yeah. I, I want to say it was between a month and a month and a half. And how old are you right now? Uh, right now, at my age right now is 55. Okay, you're a lot older than I am. But go ahead, continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was 17 when that happened. So you figure if I started at 12 or 13, yeah. five years, you know, just experimenting, five years later, I'm in, I'm, in the reha- I'm in a rehab facility. I'm not even out of high school yet. What was the reason so why how- uh, why the forward move to uh, rehab was it your parents what was it the culmination of all of that and more family members that concerned friends what no, drove well, you there the, what, uh well the truant officers came to kick me out of school they oh, woke me up it. on a school yeah they woke me up on a school day i was in bed at twelve thirty. My my mom let him in the house <laughs> and they they said if you want to get back into school you got to come see us and so i got dressed went to see him and they said in order to get back into school i had to see a psychiatrist and I started seeing that guy once a week. And uh, long story short, eventually he sent ambulances to my house uh, unannounced. And uh, they put me on a uh, gunny or stretcher and took me off to the rehab. And I was kicking and crying and screaming uh, the whole way there in that first week. And then I loosened up. Yeah. And uh, by the time I walked out of there, I was emotional, hugging my counselors. And, and they let me go back to high school. Okay, that was a psychiatrist you were seeing, correct? Yes, yes. Did did this was it a he or a she? He. Did this person ever corner you and say, "Why are you using and drinking?" Did he try to stem that right away? Cuz uh, really you and I both I, know um there's a million reasons why we drank and used. 
Yeah, yeah. But as far I don't, I don't think I knew at that time why yeah. I was drinking and using at that age. Yeah. I just knew I was, I loved it and I was addicted to it. Um, and uh, I don't remember much of him saying anything. I think, you know, the money grab, you know, they didn't do anything for me. I got out of that rehab and they put that back into high school. God, there was really? no. There was no meetings or nothing, and I meant, with all sincerity, I'm not going to do drugs anymore, but I didn't say with all my heart, I'm not going to drink anymore. So um, I lasted five days. I went to my first high school party. It was down on La Jolla Shores here in San Diego. I started with drinking. Then I smoked a little weed. Then there was a girl I was crazy about who had Coke. I did that. And then I passed out in my friend's car, and I woke up. Uh, behind the University Town Center Mall, and the guys handed back a cassette tape with a pile, not a line, but a pile of meth. Jeez. And I snorted it, and I was like, ah, I love this stuff. Um, were you amazed how quick you got back at it, or did it, did it just come natural? I mean, that's what it does. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I just, it was, yeah, I, I did it, and I was back on going again. You know, it was like, that whole month and a half of rehab just disappeared. As soon as I, you know, drank and I started to shut up my nose. And I skidded through the rest of my high school senior year where I barely made it across the finish line. Like a Spicoli almost kind of kind of guy, right? <laughs> hey, I got to ask you real like quick. That. I've never asked this question, and I've heard it talk. I remember hearing about this in high school. What does a truant officer look like? Do they carry a gun? Do they have a badge? Do they come storming in with guns drawn? <laughs> Or is that just no, some no. some like older nerd guy that hey, hi I'm Ted I'm your Druid officer let's get going <laughs> <laughs> something like that dude they were wearing suits and I okay. remember a mustache okay and uh, yeah they were uh, they were pretty tough with me you know just trying to, they were more trying to scare me than oh anything. yeah yeah so you got back at it and you wake up and you realize well I'm back on it and you probably had at that point. No, uh, no problems about it. You probably didn't have any major remorse or anything that you that you relapsed, did you? No, I, I just I knew inside I had a drug problem, but I hadn't discovered that I I wasn't able to admit that I had a drinking problem. Yeah. But I was back on. I was back on slowly. I was slowly doing it back back into it. And my parents knew they weren't. They've experienced me now for four or five years, and uh, they just kind of threw their hands up. They just you know had me in rehab, they spent their money putting me in rehab, and they kind of just, you know, said, you know, they just kind of let me go. Yeah. And uh, I just let me do what I was going to do. Now, did you did you see any, because um, sometimes people drink because of their parents, or they use because of their parents, but were your parents pretty normie people? Were they normies? Oh, yeah. They, it had nothing to do with my upbringing. They were, my dad was a hardworking man who yeah. was in the military for 20-something years, worked hard. He did, you know, all, you know, worked, got up at 4 a.m., got home at 4 p.m., Monday yeah. through Friday. Then he did the honeydews all weekend. And yeah. my mom was a really sweet, loving woman. And, uh, but yeah, they, there was not, none of, none of it was their fault. It was just, uh, something I was striving to, you know, where I wanted to be. And I had my own fears and insecurities and all that stuff. And alcohol and drugs took all that away from me. You know, at that age, it really does, or whatever age you're in that you discover you're having a great time, um, alcohol and and um, drugs and such take over your whole personality, really. Um, I drank yes. because it calmed me. I drank because um, it took my nerves away, and uh, that's why I did it. But I can see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
So, um, so, so, so yeah, know, continue. So, okay, so, so then I'm, now I'm 18 years old, and I'm slowly, you know, now hip-hop, you know, gangster raps in the scene. I'm hanging out with the homies, and I'm just having fun on the weekends. I'm drinking, I'm snorting, you know, not getting in any trouble. Um, and that carried on for uh, until I was 22, and then I was able to get clean but continued to drink for a year and a half. Wait, say that again. And you you were clean, but you continued to drink. Yes. It lasted for a year and a half. So when you were clean, because, because you parted sides there. Drugs were more your, yeah. more your buddy, but booze was yeah. okay, right? Yeah, at that time. Yeah, at right. That time, oh, of course, right. Yeah. Right, interesting. You yeah. know, uh, I was working. I was, you know, I, you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm hanging out with friends. I'm working full time. I'm, you know, having a good time, yeah. you know, that, <clears throat> but uh, it, it lasted a year and a half before I, you know, got so wasted one night I snorted it again. Then I found myself back on that train again. Yeah, and uh, and that that went on for a few years until I had a major car accident and uh, was bedridden for about uh, three or four months. Were you, I, were you I, driving? Yes, I was driving, and I was loaded on. I'd been drinking all day, oh. snorting meth all day, yeah. and I. I slid off the road and I, I, I banged off three trees. If anyone else would have been in the car with me, they would have been dead because the whole car crushed into my, where I was, you know, the driver's seat. Oh, I didn't know this. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and I swore then like, you know, Hey, I, I got to stop that. I got to stop that. And so I, you know, I was, I was bedridden. I had to get well. My, I had my femur shattered. I had pins in my left arm and I was in a walker. And, uh, but again, uh, when I started to get better and the doctor said, hey, we need you to start walking, putting pressure on your foot. You need to start walking. And I was scared as hell. I was like, I, I can't walk on this. Yeah. Well, a friend, a friend came over with an 18-pack of Bud Light. We started drinking. And after four or five beers, I'm like, hey, Lou, look at me. I'm walking. I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> like a- you know, I, had, I had the brew in me. But then... It was like a week, maybe two weeks later, come back short. Yeah, like an evil Knievel kind of. There he is. Every bone in his body is busted. His car is done. <laughs> and the beer puts him back on, and he's ready to go and get on that bike. Um, By the way, real quick, were you arrested after that? Did you get locked? No. You weren't? No, no, no. I, I know. I, I, I said that I saw this deer on the road, and... Uh, oh. And and they went with that. Wow, they didn't and like this the, is back in nineteen. Yeah, this is in nineteen ninety six, I believe. Yeah, so they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they weren't suspicious that any alcohol or drugs was behind your your crash at all. Yeah. Huh? Oh yeah, yeah, you got yeah. lucky. Yeah, I, 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 you know I believe in higher power. I choose to call God, and I believe you know He was looking out after me throughout these whole things. Yeah, of course. I went through. Okay, so your buddy brought this this twelve pack or whatever, and there you are, feeling good. You're on your hobbled foot. And yeah. uh, how did things go from there? <laughs> well, I just, I remember I started drinking and using again, drinking and using, but you know, but then I, I, I was you know, trying to manage it. Um, I, for the next couple of years. And then, uh, I remember in 1998, I'm working for this, uh, insurance company and, you know, there's a few hundred people that work there. And of course I find the two people that like to do drugs. Of course. And so I'm hanging out with these guys, and I'm partying, and I'm rocking and rolling from Thursdays to Mondays, and then Tuesday and Wednesday, it's just, you know, I'm trying to get through it. 
And uh, but that year, uh, my father died of a sudden heart attack. I'm sorry, and, buddy. And uh, yeah, no, it, it was good. I, but I remember I came home and I had my childhood friend drive me straight to the bar. But don't you know my dad just died, and yeah. uh, I need some hard alcohol. Yeah. And uh, proceeded to get wasted, and then from there I had him uh, drop me off, and I went to the dope man's house started snorting and my work had given me two weeks off to grieve and bury my father. And I spent the whole two weeks snorting and drinking. Yeah. And, uh, so when that, when those two weeks came up, it was time to go back to work. I came back in. I said, I need another week off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they looked at me like, uh, okay, we'll give you another week off. And I, I, I so I met with all my heart. I'm going to, take that week and just sleep it off and go back to work. Yeah, but it doesn't happen well, that way. Nope. I, I, like, I continued to drink and drug, and then I went back to work, and sh- within a month, they were, HR was walking me out of that building and giving me my tournament, tournament uh, papers to leave. And I, when I look back at that, that is when 19, that is when I finally crossed the line to no return. What do you mean? Say, you know, I, slow that down and say that again. Did I cross the line of, of my drinking and using? I crossed the line that I can't cross back over. That was in your mind? Yes. You, That's when I look back and see, yeah. You because, realized your life was really spiraling downhill, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, now I'm full-time. I'm, you know, it's not just a weekend warrior partying Thursday to Friday. It's sure. seven days a week. Did that finally dawn on you? Did you finally realize, hey, man, I'm getting loaded all the time, and I needed another week when my father passed? That was three weeks of getting loaded, and so that finally hit you, huh? Yeah, well, I, I didn't realize at the time that I had crossed the line. This is what I realized later. Okay, later, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but that when I look at it you know, now, it's like that's what happened, and like because I went full-time now. Now I'm in the dark. I'm in the dark areas. I've been partying since I was 12 or 13. Now I'm 28, 29 years old. Right. And uh, so I've lost the job. I've been... Uh, kicked out of my house where I was renting with friends. Uh, mother has put a restraining order on me. I'm just, you know, doing math and, and rocking and rolling, staying in hotel rooms, staying in my car, hanging out at the topless bars. I'm just thinking I'm the, you know, king. And, uh, but really, I'm just, I'm going darker and darker. And that's when I first got arrested. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay, a couple things. Jail. One, I have to ask some questions. When you were terminated, did they tell you why? Did they say, you're, you look, look, we see what you're doing. And, uh, we see the path that you're on. Did they terminate you because of that? Mm, they didn't say it like that. I don't. Rem- I don't remember. I, I don't think it was. I just. I, yeah. You weren't. Just, perfor- you weren't performing. Was... Let's just put it that. No. Way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm why the why the my desk. why the restraining order? If you don't mind. No. No. If there's anything I ever I ever ask you, Joel, just tell me to, you know, piss off and you won't answer it. But uh, I don't ever want to. No, no. No. I don't want to ever be too personal. But this is part of the part of the shares that people can relate to and. If you don't mind, why was your why'd your mom put out a restraining order? Yeah, no, I have no problem. I'm an open book when it comes to this stuff. But like I said, when I crossed over, now I'm in the dark years. So I started to go to jail. I went to jail for the first time. Yeah, to take your clothes, you're staying here for a few days, and then I, meanwhile, I'm I'm becoming a thief, and I'm like I'm stealing from my 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 mother. Yeah. I'm, you know, and then you know, they lock they change the doors and locks. I'm going into the backyard in the shed stealing like lawn or blowers and trimmers and all this, whatever I can grab, I yeah. can go get money for her. Yeah. And uh, so she eventually had it. And one, one of the times I was in jail, I'm in there with a bunch of guys, and 
all of a sudden they call my name, Beardsley. You got, you know, this mail, and they're like, oh, it's a restraining order. It's a restraining order. Who's it from? Is it your girl? Is it your girl? I opened it up, and it's like, it's my mom. How did that make you everyone, feel? <laughs> everyone went back and went, ooh. Yeah, how did that make you feel? Uh, I was pissed. You were mad. I was pissed. Yeah. Yeah, I was mad and pissed. Like, how can my mom put a restraining order on, on her son? Yeah. How can you do that? Uh you know, you know, again, that was me then. I know today, you know, why. Yeah. But at the time, I was just, I was furious. And, uh, you know, and I, and meanwhile, I know I'm getting darker and darker. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm out there and just now I'm going to more and more in and out of jail. I'm going to jail. I'm, I'm going, getting out. Um, and like, I'm staying there longer. First, it was for a week. Then it was two weeks. Then it was two and a half months. Then it was six months. Yeah. Um, I kept going back. Can I ask you real quick what jail is like? And sum it up within a minute. Can you tell me? Because I've never been. Yeah, it's it's freedom is key to me. What I learned from that is freedom is so key, and life is so precious. You know, when you get locked up and you're in, you're in shackles. I remember driving on the bus with all these inmates, and we're going towards the 905 East to, to where the prisons and the jails are. And uh, I remember looking out the windows, like going, "Gosh, I wish I was out there in a car driving." I just Okay. I'm just it's it's because you're going through these places. Some of them are just cement walls with no windows. God. There's I've stayed in all the county jails in all of San Diego. I've stayed in all of them. Bragger, and that's nothing to brag. That's <laughs> yeah, nothing to brag about, man. Because I hated it. Hey, I can I tell it. you? I think you've heard my story real quick. And I one of my favorite things to say, and then I'll shut up. When I knew I was a bona fide alcoholic, yet I still hadn't surrendered. I was at Freedom Ranch, and this guy who was brought from the jails to go to the Freedom Ranch because that's kind of a reprieve they have. They can either go to us at the Freedom Ranch or uh, continue on and by staying in jail. And this guy wanted to try and see what Freedom Ranch was like. And you know how that is, Joel. You know a lot of those people from jail are taken over there. Uh, the guy tells me um, that he was able to get booze and drink it in his cell. And I remember telling him flat out, man, that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> what kind of alcoholic would say that? <laughs> yeah, there there was booze in there. People making uh, making their uh, pruno whatever with apples and oranges, and there's I saw drugs in there, but I never wanted to partake in any of that. I just why why do I want to drink and get high in here with a bunch of dudes on yeah. these cement walls? What am I going to do in here? So you get that you restraining know? order from your mom, and you're mad because you're mad because you still feel like maybe people. Hey, look, what I have is not that much of a problem. I'm just guessing what you're thinking. Why is she? Yeah. Cutting my freedom out. What? It, it, did somebody tell her to do that? Did you ever uh, ask her about that years later? I believe someone maybe was pushing her to do it, and I also believe God was giving her the courage and the strength to do that because okay. my mom is such sweet, yeah. so loving, and it, she, you know, I put her through hell for years. You yeah, know, that she always let me come back, but this one time she didn't, and I believe God was helping her. And all the times I was going to jail, I was calling her up and saying, you got to bail me out, you got to bail me out. And she would say no and hang up the phone on me. Oh, wow. And, wow. Uh, I, you know, and, and again, I was mad all those times, but, you know, I, uh, I understand it now. I'm grateful she did because I needed that. And, you know, I had been enabled for a lot of years, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, for her, like, it was just so, I know it must have been so hard for her, and I just, God must have helped her through all that. Oh, you know? sure. I was calling up. I was calling up saying, I'm going to kill myself, and she would just hang up on me. I'll bet you. And I get more mad. I get more mad. Like, how can you hang up yeah, on me? I'll bet you the first time she may have listened and went, oh, please don't do that. But then the second, third, fourth, fifth time you would say that, you realize that's, that's just you trying to 
draw oh. anything from her, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to manipulate her. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I just I became a master manipulator, and I was just, I was awful. I was awful, and, like, um, I, uh, I just, yeah, I was in a bad, bad place. These were the worst years of my life, yeah. and, and, you know, at the end of the last five years. So go ahead and tell everybody, when you sort of kind of said to yourself, things got to change. Yeah, yep. I started to because, like I said, I hated jail so much. Then there were times I got busted again, and I would be willing to, like, I, in order to not go to jail, I could go to an outpatient program. In 2001, I did that, and I went to this outpatient program. It was Monday through Friday, a couple hours a day. I would go to two NA meetings a week, and I started getting my life back there, together again. And uh, I was, you know, working two jobs. I bought a truck. I had moved out. But the problem was I was still drinking. Well, the outpatient thing is frightening to me. I know it works for a lot of people, so I'm not going to put it down, but it sure didn't work for me because, first of all, I went back home to where I drank and did all that stuff. That's where I went when I wasn't at outpatient. So the environment right. I was at didn't work for me. How did it – so you, you, you said you were drinking still, Correct. Yes, I told myself, you know, the, the alcohol is a drug. Period. It causes many people to relapse. They see that in the meetings, and I ignored that. Like that's not me. Yeah, I can yeah. drink and not use. Yeah, and uh, and I did it for fourteen months. <laughs> I did it for fourteen months. Yeah. When I graduated that that outpatient program, my meetings started to slow down. I'm now I'm drinking more heavily. Yeah, and it lasted fourteen months, and then I I got blacked out drunk i went to an over the line tournament what we have here in san diego it's oh yeah yearly thing yeah and i got so wasted that i i ran to somebody from uh my old days and uh brought him over and uh now i'm not snorting and i'm smoking the mess oh, and uh geez. and uh i was back on again and i was so now i found myself being kicked out of my place that i had the truck was taken away you know mother didn't want anything to do with me and so now I'm back and living in my car, living in hotel rooms, and I'm robbing and stealing to do whatever I can to keep the drugs going again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it just kept getting darker and darker. What I was willing to do to steal, what I was able, to, what, what I was willing to do to continue to do, you know, because I couldn't work. <laughs> I can't work. I don't have no place, and I'm just my disease is just it owns me. Yeah. Again. Again. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't it still when you think about it now, how your mindset was back then, isn't it mind boggling how we still continue to let's just keep trying let's try it again. Eh, let's try this again. <laughs> you know, like it yeah, says yeah, in the yeah. book, did you ever think well you were drinking though and not using, but in the book of course it says try to drink like a gentleman. Right. Uh, and we are gonna talk about this in a second. Uh I come across many people who are um, alcoholics who tell me, and I'm not putting them down, Joel, you know this, and this yeah. is a theory that you and I have talked about, or my opinion. And I never want to come across as acting like my way is the only way, because it's not. But I've had many people, no. I'm sure you've had this too, where they say, oh yeah, I'm as alcoholic as an alcoholic can come. Although I still smoke pot about three times <laughs> a week. And I say to myself, dude, why even put yourself in that position? Or do dead if it's a chick. Why do you put yourself in that position to alter your mind so it's not completely sober 
And did you ever find that that worked that way? That you said to yourself, I can drink, maybe like a gentleman or not, because I'm an addict or I like drugs. Didn't that just push shove you back into doing it again? No, every time, every time. I am not a witch burner. I know there's people that can drink out there, that can smoke weed. Maybe they can even do coke. And there's new things now. People are doing Adderall and yeah. microdosing. God. I have friends that do that stuff, close friends. Yeah. But I'm not a witch burner, and, and, I, and I don't press on anyone else. I, I know that I can't. Yeah, there you go. And, there you, and you go. Know, and I, and I'm, I'm always going to have that special relationship with alcohol and drugs. It's always going to be there. Yeah. Waiting to seduce me again. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I just I, I keep myself protected by continuing to be an active member in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because you're, you know, I, I, I never really got off on smoking pot that much anyway. I always, it always burned my lungs and all that stuff. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I told you the time that I was on Norco for the pain of my back, I was five years sober and I wrenched my back and I had Norco given to me once a day. And I love that high, that feeling of being super, super relaxed the very first time I took it. And as I progressed and took it each day for 30 days towards the end of day 29, it, I wasn't given, it wasn't giving me the effect that I loved so much that first day. And I remember that right. little voice came on. Hey, idiot, why don't you grab your keys over there and go down to the liquor store and buy one of those club martinis. And I'll never forget that little voice that came in. Right, right. That temptation right. almost, but... It, I guess there's a b bunch of ways you can look at it. If you have a severe tooth pain or whatever, or you have a major health issue and there and it, and something's given to you for the pain, something clicks in your head that hey, I need this for my pain, not so it'll jump kick a uh, jump kick me back into drinking or using it again. You know what I'm saying? That's no, absolutely no. If I'm in pain, like if I have a, you know I'm in pain and they give me something to take away that pain, I'll take it. Yeah, but I, I know, don't I know. believe that. I mean, because I don't like pain. <laughs> no, but and I've had to over my years. Where a couple of times where I've had to, but I've always, you know, put it down. You know, as soon as I get through, you know, the pain I'm going through. I've, you know, it's just. Uh, um, but yeah, for me to taste a little bit of anything, whether it be you know pills or smoke or you know any just a drop of alcohol. Yeah, I know for me it'll get that gorilla inside me down, just bouncing again. It'll take over, and I'll be back on that train, you know, where I can't get off again. No, I love what you said. I know that I can't. I know that yeah. I can't. I love that. Okay, so continue. So as you uh, – I guess we haven't reached that point yet where you are about ready to completely surrender. Yeah. Uh, so at this time now, in 2003 – I'm I'm in jail again. My hotel rooms got raided again, and they've taken me off to jail. And uh, I'm like, uh, you know, and I and prior to this, I had plans. I went. To, I tried to go to that outpatient rehab program again. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't. I was now I'm high every day. I was trying to go and I couldn't do it. Counselors are saying you should go to inpatient. Inpatient. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. Yeah, yeah. And so I kept saying I wanted to want to quit, but. The disease had me so grabbed, I couldn't. But in order for me to stop, handcuffs have to be put on me, or I have to run into a brick wall. Yeah. And I went to jail again, and I told myself, okay, when I get out of here, I'm going to go to this rehab. And um, and that was scary. It's scary going to a rehab, and you know, you're checking out, and now you're going to be, you know, with, I'm, this jail was a, I mean, this rehab was a funded county program. It's not like, the, you know, Betty Ford or any rich places these people get to go to. I'm in a county-funded 
old hotel, crack hotel place, they turned into a rehab. <laughs> Are you kidding? And, and, well, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you sell newspapers on the corner six days a week. Oh, so it's not like Scripps where I went to McDonald's Center where they have like... Oh, God, uh, no. They have music no. uh, music therapy. All right, today we're going to do music therapy for the next hour, and then we'll have quiche, <laughs> and we'll have no. uh, apple cider champagne for lunch. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And I heard this when I was in jail. You go, you go in that rehab, you have to sell newspapers on the corner. Oh, that, like, so what place, what, what was this called, if, you can, if you're allowed to mention it? Yeah, it's Alfred Project, Casa Raphael. Oh, my God, I've never heard of it. It sounds pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, so my ego and pride was like, screw that. I'm not going to that. I'll just go to meetings again. Yeah. But somehow, I knew I had the law still hanging over me, and I thought, you know, when the judge sees me, it'd be better off that I'd be in rehab when he, when he calls me back. I'll tell you the so, bottom. Uh, here's... I tell you when you know you've reached bottom when you've when you're in day one of this rehab and I'm I'm just making light of it real quick and we get get, get back in the serious side. This is when I think that you've reached bottom when you're in day one of this rehab and you're selling newspapers and on the cover it says Joel Beardsley arrested again for smoking pr- crack. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I'm just teasing. <laughs> that would be the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you're in this. So, how long was this rehab pl- program for when you went in? And uh, well, it was supposed to be for nine months to a year. Wow, and that must that must have that was like an attorney to me. Oh like, yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, you know. And uh, so, but I signed up. I got out of jail, and I have to say, before I went in, it's Friday now. I'm going in on Monday. Yeah, and I called a friend to say, hey. Let's go to the bar. Oh, boy. Because I was telling myself, okay, I'm going to be in this rehab for a year. I'm not going to be able to drink for a year, and uh, I'm not going to do dope ever again. Yeah. Because I'm still holding on to, I'm going to successfully drink and not use. Yeah. And so I went to the bar with my friend, and we started drinking pitchers. We were doing shots. But then I turned around and said, hey, man, let's get some meth. It's going to be my last time forever. (laughs) Oh, my God. Really? And so I'm doing that. I'm up all night. I'm back. It's now Saturday. I got a bag. I, you know, I've got the torch. I'm trying to make pipes and all that. Yeah. And, I, and so I go up to my friend's house, and then I had this moment of clarity. And I'm in the bathroom with this bag of meth. And I, I thought, if I finish this, I'm not going to make it into rehab on Monday, which is two days away. Wow. And I've never had that. I mean, I believe my higher power, God, you know, put that thought in my head. Because in all my years of using, I have never thrown away. The cops are coming. I keep it in my sock. They always find it. I go to jail for it. I couldn't, you know, I just never left my side. Or if I'm going to quit, I'm going to do it all, and then I'll quit. Yeah. Wow. But that night, that night, I threw it in the toilet, and uh, I made it to to rehab on that Monday. Do you still think of that uh, moment today? Oh, yeah. All the t- I, I think about it often, and I share it with people because that was uh, that was a spiritual experience I had. Of I mean, course I, just, it was. I couldn't believe. Of course, I it couldn't was. believe I threw the dope. And I mean, that's not me. I don't throw dope away. I don't throw alcohol away. <laughs> so, um, how many people were in this program that you were at that you you got what you walked into? Oh, geez, there was uh, probably a hundred to hundred and fifty people. Um, there's you know, all of us are from prison, jail, the streets. You know, homeless. It's like you know, we're all we're all the great uh, mischiefs of, uh, um, you know, that society doesn't want to hit, you know deal with. And uh, and I went and so I went there, and uh, it uh, it was good. It was scary the first few days. It was scary getting on a corner and selling newspapers, but eventually, 
um, I got it, and I was doing it. Isn't that insane yeah. that you were probably more scared going into rehab than you, you, you were in one of your jail stints when you knew you had to go yeah. on your way to jail? Probably because, it was just as scary. Yeah, probably because I'm trying to define that, too, because I remember how scared I was when I went to McDonald's Center, which was my first one where I was kind of, you know, um, held inside, you know, not, not under gunpoint or anything. But, but uh, it's a scary thing because uh, a lot of your mind still wants to party. Yep. And you're yep. going into an un- unknown world of people around you. Um, so you said about 100 people or so, correct? Yeah. And what year was this, do you think? This was 2003. Do you know of anybody from that time that are still sober? You know, uh, it's funny. So they put us in groups of 12. Okay. And I stayed close with my 12 men that I, I got to be close with. They were my brothers. And uh, I stayed in close with them as long as I possibly could. But as time went on, one would drop off, another, another. When we left, I tried to reach out. But slowly, in the end, I lost all of them. And the only two... That, that stayed clean sober out of that bunch was me, who I got kicked out after 90 days, and I'll tell you about that. Yeah. And the other guy uh, who, who stayed and never left and became a, a worker there. Yeah. We were the only two that stayed clean and sober. Fantastic. See, the odds, the odds are really correct. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the odds are against us, especially, you know, the alcoholics that, that do drugs alcoholically and, and who have gone in and out of jail. It's like 2% make it the, the people that go in and out of jail or in and out in and out of prison now why did you get kicked off were you pilfering newspapers or what were you doing <laughs> no i told i was so all in i was you know going to the means I, I i got my 60 days and my 90 days in there oh, and nice. i realized i hadn't had 60 days clean sober off everything since i was 12 or 13 years old wow that's something the only time i was able to get any put any clean time together was when i was locked up and uh, I was amazed by it, and I was happy. And uh, But at 90 days, there was counselors that didn't care for me. They didn't care for my happy-go-lucky self. they look out the windows and see me getting along with everybody and yeah. whatnot. I, it's just, I don't know, but they, they, their excuse was I rode a bike down to the store to buy cigarettes and bought it back up, yeah. and they said, I stole, they said I stole the bike. Oh, yeah. You know what? So a lot, they, of, a lot of times those... No offense against counselors, but remember, a lot of those counselors have the same kind of history in drugs and alcohol as we do. Oh, absolutely. A lot of these guys did. And, and I, after I left, I found out many of them, those guys that kicked me out, had relapsed and gone back out. Yeah. Um, but I looked at it was God's plan. He had a whole different plan for me. I don't know what would have happened if I stayed there for a year and what I would have walked. I, I have no idea, but he had other plans for me. Well, let, me, um, kicked- let me ask you this real quick. Because it's the same thing that was thrown to me. Did anybody ever say to you when you were tr- trying to get sober, did anyone ever say to you, Joel, you can't ever use again in your lifetime? Did that ever make you feel like, wow, thanks for the pressure? Did anyone ever tell you that? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there are people that told me that uh, in my later years. And, uh, and I, I guess, yeah, I, know deep, I knew deep down this stuff was bad for me now. And it just it wasn't. You know, I was becoming somebody I wasn't. Yeah. You know, I was a liar, a cheat, and a thief. I was robbing people. I was, you know, I was even going to the extremes of smashing a window to take a purse and at, at the very end. And that's not me, but I was hanging out with people, lower companionship that were like me. 
And uh, and I wasn't raised like that. I mean, I had good loving parents, good loving grandparents that taught me to be a gentleman, to have manners and all that stuff. And, and But that all, the drugs and the alcohol of my disease just wiped all that away. Yeah, I got to tell you, last week I talked to Ruthie. Oh, uh, I saw and, that. And you know Ruthie from the show that I was on. Uh-huh. And I was relaying a story to her, one of my favorite memories of being at Pathfinders when I was on the Porch One. Because, you know, when we're at these places, we have our little group of people we drink coffee and smoke cigars or cigarettes with. And and uh, <laughs> we're in Porch One, and this guy, this really uh, irritating Mr. Know-it-all, is sitting next to my left. And this guy comes up to the porch and goes, hey, everybody, did you hear about Tom? No. Yeah, he went out. And what happened? And when I say went out, Joel, Joel knows what that means, but he used a drink again. Yeah, Tom went out. No, what happened? Well, he kidnapped about nine nuns, put them in a school bus. He drove to Las Vegas. He took all their money, gambled, and then he dropped them off somewhere, and then he went over, blah, blah, blah. And this sneering guy to my left goes, well, that's what we do. And I went, wait a second. Maybe that's what he did. That's not what I do. But the underlining is we're liars, cheats, thieves, right? <laughs> right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I can say I didn't. I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> I, I would say a lot of things I would never do. To where at the end, like I said, I, I never saw myself, you know, smashing a window to take a purse. No, that's, no, you know, but insane. Yeah, it's insane. But you had said but earlier I, that you had stole, you had cheated, lied, you know, and I, I had lied many times, stole, yeah, stole emotions from people. I got to oh, ask yeah. you this. So now you're getting sober. When did you realize? This is my favorite question. To ask anybody. When did you realize? that the obsession had been lifted on you? Uh, it took two to three years, between two and three years. Um, because even when I left that rhythm and got kicked out, the first thing I wanted to do when I was walking down with all my stuff was I want to drink. Yeah. There was people getting caught drinking and using in that place and getting kicked out and let back in. Yeah. But me, they, they weren't having it. I got kicked out and I fought to get back into that rehab and they weren't having it. And I wanted to drink so bad. It was like my first resentment. But something told me it's too early. You said you were going to do this for a year. Yeah. And so I moved up to Temecula. And I wanted to go to NA. I didn't want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. But I, I went to AA. And, and there was guys in there that put their hands out to me. And I heard someone share, I'm an alcoholic. And I do drugs alcoholically. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. I'm like, what's that guy talking about? So I yeah. went over to talk to him after. And he's like, oh, yeah. We snort. We do heroin. We do that. I'm like, oh, okay. And... I started going to this meeting regularly, and I continued on to get six months and nine months, and I was going regularly. But mind you, I'm getting court signatures signed because now the judge saw I got kicked out of rehab, and they could have put me back in jail. But he, you know, he saw me. Okay, well, you better continue to do what you do, and I'll see you in a few months. And uh, I got up to nine months clean sober, nine months without nothing. Wow. You know, and he, and and I had all these court signatures signed. I had always, you know, I mean, I mean, AA meeting slips and all this, and I'm waiting for the judge to look at him, and he doesn't look at him. He looks at me. He goes, "Mr. Beardsley, that's really far in between. I see people like you do this. You've done good. You're free to go. I don't need to see you anymore." And I'm like, "What? Wow! wow. Well, aren't you aren't you gonna look at my paperwork? Look at all the signatures I got." <laughs> and I didn't know it at the time, but I'm looking back now. He didn't need to look at those signatures. He was able to look me in the eyes and see that I was truly 
clean and sober because those guys see they deal with people for years in and out. And they see people doing the minimum or not doing it. Oh yeah, he saw something different with me. And usually my mo after that, okay, the the, the heat's off my back. The, the you know the court's off my back. I can go back and drink now. And I didn't. That was a miracle. It was because I was going to so many meetings and I made so many friends that now I feel accountable to. That like I better keep going and get the year you know the year token. And uh, and I made it to that year. And after that, it's, and it, I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking. When is a good time to go out and drink? When can I stop this and just drink and not do drugs? And I was thinking like, well, if my mom dies, or if the Raiders win the Super Bowl, or you know, trying to find all these excuses, you know. Yeah. But so I kept going, though. I kept going. I kept going. So it was around two or three years when again I had a moment of clarity and realized. I can't drink. And, you know, I said it with, you know, it with my heart and soul by myself. I'm like, I admitted to myself, if I drink, there's a good chance I'm going to go use drugs. You know that from, and, uh, from reality. You know that from experience in the past. Yes. Yeah. It took time to figure that out. Like I said, I was in meetings for two, two to three years now and still, you know, obsessing. When can I go out and drink again? But, but it just happened one day. I realized a moment of clarity again. That I can't drink, and and I and I accepted it that day, and I moved on, and uh, you know, and I've been you know, and continuing to do what I do, going to meetings and being a part of the fellowship, and uh, the obsession was removed. That around that that was when the obsession to drink was lifted from me, and it just happened because I had the obsession, even though I'm sober for two to three years, I still had that obsession in the back of my mind, and just one day it was gone. Isn't that and I a gift? Like I've, 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 I've asked this of everybody that I've spoke to uh, in my podcasts recently. Isn't that the one of the coolest gifts of your journey, right there? Oh, absolutely. I, I was I was flabbergasted. I, it was a spiritual experience for me. That's what I look at it as because I know me. I drank and used for twenty twenty two years, and I could not stop. I could not, you know, it, it, it didn't matter all the love that was thrown to me, all the money that was thrown to me, all the rehabs that I went to, the outpatients, jail. I mean, it, it, nothing, it, none of it worked, and I couldn't, you know, stop. And just, you know, I always thought about it. If I wasn't, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking. If I'm, if I'm not using, then I'm thinking about using. And for me, it goes into if I'm, if I'm using, I'm thinking criminal stuff. And all of a sudden, that was all gone. Yeah, so no, just, so so someone's just heard your story, let's say, Joel, and someone's heard you speak, um, and you've been doing this for quite a while now. I'm sure you've had this happen when somebody will come up to you, and they'll look at you, and they're super impressed, and they'll say, "So why why do you think things started to work for you? Like like what was the pivotal point? How come it works now? You know, I've what? been asked that many times. What what are you doing now that's so differently? Like h- how does it work for you?" Um, well, it's a I, great question. I, yeah, it is. And uh, I can say, again, I, I go to meetings regularly, but the biggest thing is I don't want to offend anybody who you know doesn't believe in God or higher power or any of that, but I believe in God. Right. And I don't press that on anybody. I don't push that on anybody. I'm not, you know, a high preacher and don't push that on anyone. I'm just saying my experience. For me, I believe in God, and I believed He removed the obsession from me. And, you know, prior to getting sober, I'd only pray to God when, you know, when I was in trouble. 
like the handcuffs get put on me. Oh God, oh God, help me get out of this. Oh hell, you know, I promise I won't do it again. And you know, every time, but as soon as I got out of jail and it was gone, I didn't need God anymore. And I was, you know, doing my thing. So coming into sobriety, I started relying on him, believing him. And I, you know, and I, I, I talk with him daily. I'm asking him every day, help me stay clean and sober. And at the end of the day, I'm thanking him at night. Well, I got some I got some disturbing news for you, and you are a good friend of mine, so I'm just going to lay it out on you now, okay? Okay. God is not a Raider fan, okay? He hates the Raiders. <laughs> I, I have to believe you on that, because since I got sober, the year I got sober, they were in the Super Bowl when I was drinking and using. I get sober, and they've been the last 20 years. Come here, my son. Are you wearing silver and black? I am, sir. I want you not to wear that anymore. Okay. <laughs> okay, I love what you say, and, and here's the fire that Joel has. You look at this man when you meet him, and if you haven't heard him speak or not, you'll know more about him in about 10, 15 minutes. Because like I said, his eyes are all aglow. He's happy. He'll tell you what this disease is all about. He'll tell you what it means to him. He'll tell you what going to meetings are like. Because that was the biggest pain in the neck for me. I hated every single second of listening to Johnny Potem Thumper go up there. And I've heard him speak before. And here he goes again. I hated everything about meetings. Joel loves to go to meetings. Because here's the thing. doesn't matter how many years of sobriety he has. And he has a lot. He wants to listen to what your share is all about. Because remember now. Um, for the newcomers, and I used to call bull on that, you know, you newcomers are a big help to us. And I used to think, yeah, right. You've been sober like 30 years and me, I'm six months sober. How am I of help to you? But that is true. The newcomers are a huge help to all of us because not only do we see the rawness and the grit in their face and, and the, and the yearning for them to get a better life, but we remember what that was like, like crystal clear. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, and that's so true. I need to keep hearing what it's like, and I need to keep going to those meetings to share my, my story. These people would probably get tired of hearing me share <laughs> after 20 years, you know, hearing the same story, this and that, but I only got one story. I don't need to beef it up or, or prop it up. I don't, it's like the same message, my story, and I need, I need to, if they don't need to hear it, I need to hear it. I need to remember where I come from. Yes, and because, for the people that are brand new who are listening to this right now, thinking, I still think that's bull. You do have a lot to offer because not only are you going through it like we all are, you're searching for an answer, whether like Joel says, it's your higher power or not. Staying sober each and every day, the simplicity of it is it's a gift and it is a day-by-day deal. It really is. If you look at it like, God, I wish I could get to where uh, Joel is at or I wish I could get to where Bob is at five years, it's a lot of pressure. Give yourself credit. Don't beat yourself up, as one guy used to tell us all the time at Pathfinders. Don't beat yourself up anymore. Yeah, and like like I said, I don't walk taller than anybody else that's on this journey. Like, you know, if you have one day or 30 days or six months or 20 years, I'm still walking just as tall or or a little lower than you. Like, I'm not any better than anyone in there. I'm just as close to a drink and a drug as close as they are. It's just one hand. it's It's an arm length away. Okay, break that down. I think that's bull, Joel, because you've been sober for 20-plus years. How are you just one step away from a drink or a use? Tell me why. Well, 
Well, like I said, I just, my disease is still, you know, it's I have a, it's relationship with alcohol and drugs. It's always going to be waiting there for me. Yeah, I, you know, it's always going to be inside me. Yeah, and if I divert from what I do on a regular basis, you know, I I saw it. I I know that I would think, oh, a drink would be good. I'm just going to yeah. have one beer. Yeah, I'm just going to have one. And I know that thinking could still come back. It could come back, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it over my years. I've seen people go out after 20 years, after 25 years, after 15 years, two years. I've seen people go out. And, uh, and so I'm not, like, it just sh- it showed me early on. In my first couple of years, I saw someone go out, go out after 20 years. And who's uh, been struggling to come back ever since. Yeah. And uh, so I know I'm not any greater or different from them. And... Uh, if I was to open up that dragon again inside of me, you know, I'd be scared that I wouldn't make it back because that stuff is so powerful. And I'd be back on this mindset that this is the way I have to live. I can't, you know, I need this. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this. Do you ever have relapse dreams? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. And they seem so real. And they seem so real. I feel like I, I sipped alcohol or I snorted, I snorted a little Coke and then I'm like, Oh my God! I'm not starting over. I'm not starting over. I'm not, you know. But I only did a little bit, and they seem so real every time. And, and isn't uh, it crazy that in your dream, your thoughts are just as clear as when you're awake? For instance, I've had dreams where I've had that sense of guilt, where I'm hiding it from people, I'm yes. faking it, I'm lying to people. I also cry yes. in my dreams because I broke my years of sobriety over a mistake of taking that first drink. Remember, taking that first drink. I, I, And I used to have somebody tell me, oh, aren't you concerned? What do you mean? No, it's my real hair. No, no, not that. Not, not your dopey hair. Aren't you concerned that you're having nightmares? To me, that's not a good sign. And I'm like, I disagree with you. That's your mind keeping you sharp, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think normal people have these kind of dreams. I think it's us alcoholics that have these dreams, especially when we get into sobriety. Um yeah, they seem so real all the time. And like, I, I have dreams that like I relapsed when I was fifteen or sixteen, and I've been faking and lying this whole time, and it seems so real. Oh, I'll, so I'll real. Realize days later that oh, I was dreaming that again. <laughs> so let's hear how beautiful your life is now. Let's hear how when someone comes up to you, and I'm sure this has happened many times. Hey, Joel, I'm still sober. I heard you speak. Remember that time I heard you speak like five years ago? Five years ago, you were rambling on about the stupid Raiders. Blah 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 blah. By the way, I hate the Raiders. And you remember that. Isn't that such a great feeling when somebody says to you that you're a big part of their sobriety? Uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, I try to stay humble. And, I, you know, it's like when people want to share and say things I might have helped, I just, I give the credit to that guy upstairs. Of course. Because um, I ask for his help every day to guide me, show me the way. I, I, I need him more today than I did 20 years ago. Now, why, now why would that be? Why, why is that? that is, does, does that make sense, people will say? You need him more now than you did 20 years ago when you were really in trouble. I mean, well, how? Because, yeah. I'm, cause, because now I'm dealing with life sober. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know nothing. it. Yeah. And, you know, today, nowadays you got people that are, like, saying they're sober, but they smoke weed or they, they do, you know, edibles or, you know, or they're chewing out Adderall. I, you know, it's like I'm now doing sobriety with nothing. And, you know, life can be up and down. Life can be life. Life can be fun. Life can be treacherous. Life can – people die. I mean, you go through stuff. And uh, I'm proud to say that I've gone over 20 years with going through life's experiences, and I haven't, you know, 
picked up a drink or anything. Yeah. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. Um, and that's why I say I need him more today than 20 years ago. I mean, uh, you know, back then I could deal with, with whatever life threw at me with like, picking up a drink and, and snort smoking it. And, uh, now I'm doing it without that stuff. I'm, and, uh, it's not always easy. And that's why I stay in the fellowship. I stay with my higher power, you know, and, he, and when I look back at the 20 years, he's got me through all the ups and downs. You know, and you know what, this breaks. is, this is one of the greatest things about the people that we share with and people we love now is because he's way out in San Diego. I'm out here in Bismarck and I know he's got my back in a heartbeat. And there are, I know that I could reach out to Joel if I'm feeling any kind of weakness and say, you know, why am I feeling this way? And I know he could do the same for me. And, and this is the fellowship that he's talking about. Yes. It says in our book somewhere that you will make lifelong friends. And I used to laugh at that. I'd be like, Huh. Well, I, I'm not going to meet those people in these stupid meetings. I'm like, it's like my friends were the guys I grew up with on yeah. the block. My yeah. friends are my friends from high school. Those are my lifelong friends. And like, it took years, but you know, going, but eventually I saw that. And, and like, like you're asking, how's life today? Life, you know, I, I don't have this extravagant life. You know, I, uh, I work with a plumber. I, you know, I go to meetings I'm, and, uh, uh, I pay my bills, you know, so I struggle. You know, but I have my health. I have my sobriety. Yep. I have a host of friends. I have more friends, to, you know, than the probably average man. Not just friends, but best friends. Right. You know, you you're in there, and that 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 I'm I'm so blessed to have. You know, I just I cherish my friendships in the rooms and outside the rooms. Uh, they mean everything to me, and I wouldn't be able to have all these friends, lifelong friends, if it wasn't for my sobriety. And uh, uh, God's shown me a lot of great things. I've been blessed with a lot of fun times. And, uh, again, I've gone through hard times. And uh, he's got me through them between him and the, and the friends I've made. And, you know, the, the greatest thing I own, the greatest thing I own, it's, it's not, you know, my comic books or, yeah. or a gold necklace or anything or my car, my, you know, 2020 truck. It, uh, my, no, I'm sorry, 2003 truck. I drive a 2003 DMC era, and I love it to death. It's still kicking. But my my greatest uh, possession is my sobriety date. Yeah. My sobriety date to April 1st, 2003, is the most precious thing I own. I need to protect it with everything I got. Man, because, I believe uh, you're right. I'm right there with you, pal. And listen, I own a 2001 silver Chevy Impala that goes zero to 60 in six and a half minutes. So there. <laughs> <laughs> here's, I love the Chevy Impala. That's awesome. Here's the awesome thing about Joe, real quick, and then we got to wrap it up. He goes to a load of live shows, concerts, tiny little clubs that has alcohol all around him. But he's in this cloak, if I'm saying that word right, of protectiveness because he goes with his buddies that are sober. And when I go into yeah. San Diego and I get to see my buddies that are sober, we play cards and golf smoking cigars it's the same kind of life i had before when i was drinking but i don't need the booze anymore because i no, have absolutely. my absolutely yeah you know absolutely i tell but you know there's times where i'm not 
with friends that are sober. I'm hanging out with friends that I've had for, you know, decades. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, me too. And again, I can hang out and have just as much fun with them. I, you know, I'm blessed to go to a lot of shows. I'm a big, big music fan. Yeah. And a lot of those, my, my friends, my friends take me to these, uh, these shows, you know, and they bless me. And, uh, Again, I I didn't think I was going to be able to do anything after I got sober. I was like, how am I going to do life? Yeah. How am I going to watch foot my Raiders? How am I going to go to concerts? How am I going to talk to girls? Yeah. How am I going to do anything? And I have now now I have found I've done, I do everything and more sober, and uh, and that's by the grace of my higher power and the fellowship. And uh, I don't have to you know like I said I, the obsession has been removed, and I know I can go anywhere and do anything in a. And it doesn't matter what other people are doing. I'm not a witch burner. They can do it. If they can still party in you, that's good on them. I just know I can't. And you know, I'm a much happier person uh, being sober. Well, listen, buddy. Love you real quick. Uh, love you real quick. I love quick. you, too. Uh, this is Joel Beardsley. He's one of my coolest pals. And uh, I love talking sobriety with him. Hang on real quick. Joel, Joel, what do you want to tell everybody real quick that might be listening to this? Because someone said to them, hey, you should listen to this podcast. You think you might drink too much? Or does your brother or sister, blah, blah, blah. What would you tell that person who thinks that maybe they're headed down the wrong direction and they can't get out of it? I, the reason me doing this, Roma, I'm honored you asked me because I love talking about my sobriety and my experience, strength, and hope. Hoping, it's not to put, put me up on any pedestal. It's I hope that it can help somebody. And say you have 50 people listening, you know, or, you know, whatever, 20. Say to, I want one person. I hope one person that will help somebody that there is a way out. There is. And I, you know, for years I thought there was no way out, but there is. I'm a full on alcoholic. I full on do drugs alcoholically. And, uh, you know, but I, by the grace of God, I, I got sober and, you know, I explained to how I've done it. And, uh, I just, I want to help people. I want people to find what I found that, um, it works. And, uh, really I, like, I'm always willing to put my hand out. I'm always willing to pick up the phone and talk to somebody, anyone that you know needs help. I try to help in any way I can. Excellent. Hang on real Did for me. Yeah. That's what people did for me. Excellent. Hang on real quick, buddy. That's awesome. This is why, this is why I have this podcast. Not for me, not because I shared. No, I have people like Joel come on and tell his experience, his strength, his hope. And I'm telling you, if anybody out there thinks they may have a problem I encourage you to listen to some of these podcasts. You will see that we're all like we're all like each other. We've all had that urge to drink, but listen, I'm telling you, there is a way out. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.